Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. to the deep end, and uh, so I want to start by making this statement, and that is this, that I think one of the greatest lies or deceptions perpetrated uh, against man, not just in our own culture, but really throughout all of history, is this, that you are, as a man, in some way inadequate for the task at hand. There's just this kind of pervasive sense within our culture that tells us as men that we're inadequate. And not only is this untrue in light of God's Word, but it's also untenable within us as men because it creates this conflict. Because at the core of our manhood, the way that we're wired and the way that God designed us is as men, we have a very, very strong desire to achieve, to accomplish, to succeed, to provide, to protect, to conquer. There's something within us as men we want to conquer, and, and, and we see things through the, the lens, we must conquer this. Once in a while, Gwen and I are to dinner, and I tend to enjoy my meal, so I eat slow, and a waiter or a waitress will come by, and they'll say to me, would you like a to-go box for your meal? And I look at the waiter, incredulously, and I said, what gave you the impression that I was not man enough to finish the food on my plate? Like, who do you think I am? Let me tell you what, I'm not only going to finish all the food on my plate, I'm going to finish my wife's food. And that party that left the table next to me and left half a piece of chocolate cake, bring me that too. I'll show you what type of man I am. All the women in the room who've been married or have observed men know that so many of the foolish things that we do as men is driven by this innate need to conquer. And so, it creates this tension because not only do we have this drive to achieve, to conquer, to accomplish, but we're also living underneath this lie that we are inadequate. And so it creates this tension within us. And so there is this messaging and even imaging in our culture that is built around the idea of the inadequacy of manhood. And we hear that in so many overt and subtle ways. The inadequacy of manhood and suggesting different ways, none of them very effective, for becoming more of a man. So, I got this fun analogy. This is a size 20 basketball shoe. Far bigger than what I need. 
And we live in a culture that kind of communicates to us through an implied expectation that this is what it means to be a man. You've got to fill all these expectations. You've got to be all of these different things all at the same time. And then if you, if you are not this, if you can't fill these shoes, if you can't be all of these things, then you're not really as much of a man as what you want to be. And maybe for us, that expectation comes uh, in the terms of wealth. But maybe in, in the, the career that you're in or the family that you come to, manhood was defined by the wealth that you accumulate, the house that you own, the cars that you drive, the, the money in your 401k, the watches that you wear. The, the, for you, the message is a real man accumulates wealth and keeps up and slightly ahead of the Joneses. Maybe the messaging that you received is a real man uh, has a career and gets promoted in his career, and when he looks to the left and the right, he is surpassing his equals, and his promotions and his career is what makes him a man. Maybe there's a, a sense within you that a real man, uh, you know, is like a Renaissance man and, and has all of these skills and abilities and, and can change the brakes on the car and can fix the computer and can uh, wire a house and, and can do all of these different things. And, and a real man can do all of these different things, which leaves those of us who can't do most of those things wondering whether our manhood is adequate enough. Maybe the messaging that you've received or the culture that you come from says that a man's physical appearance, the man's physical fitness, or the man's sexual virility is what defines his manhood. And if you don't feel that you're adequate in that area, then you feel that your entire manhood is inadequate. Often, even in marriage, the message that we receive is that unless you are this type of husband, Unless you are doing everything right as a husband, you're inadequate as a husband. And even today as we celebrate Father Day, Father's Day, sometimes as fathers we can feel quite inadequate. I am not the father that I need to be. And sometimes in the church, men will frequently feel I'm not the spiritual leader that I need to be. And so because of that lie and because of that deception, there's a great deal of damage that's done to the psyche of manhood, to the emotion of manhood, to, to the behavior of man. And, and once we believe that lie, it kind of forces us as men into one of two approaches. And the first approach is where we try to compensate for our weaknesses. We try to compensate for our sense of inadequacy. I told you guys before, I, I grew up really poor and... Uh, I had a brother who was two years older than me, so I, I played a decent level of soccer when I was in my teen years. I played for our city. I was on the travel team, but I didn't have the money to do that. I had a coach who was just generous with me, and my coach paid for everything, but I didn't have cleats. And so my brother had a pair of cleats that were two sizes too big for me. And so what I would do as a teenager is I would shove newspaper in the front toes of my cleats so that somehow I could compensate for the fact that I didn't quite fill out my cleats. So many times as men, we try to compensate for what we feel we're lacking. 
And so if working 40 hours a week isn't enough, then you'll work 50 hours a week. And if 50 hours a week isn't enough, you'll work 60 hours a week. I go to the gym pretty regularly, and there are two groups of men in the gym. There are men who are at the gym for a very practical purpose of staying in shape. And then there's a second group of men, usually they're a lot younger, who are in the gym because they are trying to compensate for their inadequacies. And those people love the mirrors. And they love to look at themselves and feel better about themselves because of what they're accomplishing there. The other option besides trying to compensate for our inadequacies is where we go with resignation. And with resignation, what we do is we look and we go, I can't do all of that. So I may as well not even try to be any of that. If I can't be the perfect father, the perfect husband, if I can't accomplish it, if I can't be really, really spiritual, then I'll quit trying to be spiritual at all. And what we find is we find men trying to deal with this tension of our inadequacies in one of those two ways. I think one of the many roles that the church has in the lives of individuals is that we are called to speak into the lives of both men and women, uh, you know, corporately, but also individually. Men and women, I think, have their unique challenges and their unique needs. And so I think the role of the church is to speak into the lives of men in a way that causes men to rise up and be everything that God has called them to be. I think that the church is called to speak into this lie of inadequacy and to let people know that there is a different message in it and that there's a different story to be told. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look at a Bible story that speaks to the sense of adequacy or inadequacy within men. And the story that we're going to be looking at today also goes along with the series that we've been in for the last several weeks called The Questions That God Asked, which is a series based on those times in the Bible where God asked people questions. So we're going to take a look at the story of Moses. A little bit of background to the story of Moses that is helpful is Moses was born at a time where all of the Hebrew people, all of the Jewish people, all of the Israelites were living in Egypt as slaves. They had lost their autonomy and they were living as slaves, which obviously brings you to a, a crisis of, of inadequacy when you're living as a slave. So Moses was born in Egypt as a slave at the same time where you had a maniacal pharaoh who was threatened by the number of Israelites that were living in Egypt. So he sent out an edict that said all uh, newborn boys are to be killed. And so what Moses' mother did when he was born is she put him in a basket and she sent him down the Nile trusting that God would preserve his life. And sure enough, the Pharaoh's daughter found the baby in the basket and adopted that baby and raised him as her own. And so Moses grew up, though knowing he was a Hebrew, knowing that he was a Jew, he grew up with the privilege of being a prince. And so one day, Moses was out riding in his prince chariot and just having a good time, when all of a sudden he notices an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew and something inside of him, a sense of justice inside of him, couldn't just ride by and let that be. And so he got involved, and in the process of getting involved, he ended up killing the Egyptian slave owner. And he knew in that moment that he had to get out of Dodge. At that point, the story skips ahead 40 years. 
Moses spent 40 years incognito, in hiding. We know nothing really about what was happening over those 40 years other than that Moses was in the desert tending sheep. And where the story picks up is that God encounters Moses through a burning bush. And he says to Moses, Moses, listen, I've got a call on your life. I need you to go back to Egypt. And I need you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses responds to God much in the same way as any of us would respond if somebody said to us, hey, I need you to play in a basketball game and I need you to fill these shoes. If you play a basketball game wearing these shoes, would you be the star player? I need you to win the game and I need you to wear these shoes. And when asked that question, Moses responds much in the same way that we would respond. Moses gives all kinds of excuses that highlight his inadequacies as a man. He says, God, I am not an adequate messenger because of my past, because of my reputation. I can't do what you're asking me to do because of what I have done. Man, have you ever found yourself saying that to God? God, I can't do what you're asking me to do because of things that I've done. God said, or Moses said to God, speech impediment and you're asking me to be your voice? God, I've been tending sheep for 40 years. I haven't had a whole lot of meaningful conversations. I grunt my way through life. I'm not eloquent. Just been tending sheep for 40 years. So God decides to answer Moses' excuses with a question. And that's where we pick up the story in Exodus 4, verses 2-5. through After giving all of his excuses, the Lord then says to Moses, What is in your hand? And that is the operative question of the day. What is in your hand? A staff, Moses replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took a hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. What is in your hand, Moses? And what Moses had in his hand was a staff, which you don't get a a tool or an item much uh, less impressive uh, than a staff. It was, it was unimpressive and it was kind of utilitarian. Like staffs weren't things that you like painted and put pinstripes on. You didn't embed staff with, with jewels or gold. You didn't have gold encrusted shepherd's staff. It was the most basic, the most utilitarian type of tool. Probably the place where Moses had put his hand had kind of worn away and it was smoothed out. And it was probably stained with the dirt of the ground. On that staff was probably the dust of the desert. On that staff was probably the manure of the sheep. On that staff was probably blood and DNA from animals that that Moses had to fight in order to protect the sheep. A staff was all that he had. It didn't get much less valuable, much less impressive than a staff we learn from this story was that all Moses had was a staff, but all that God needed was that staff. It was all that God needed to teach Moses the lesson 
and a very important lesson that I think God wants to teach us today, and that is, is that whatever we have to offer God is more than enough for whatever God wants to do. And then I want you to hear that message today. It's a message of divine adequacy. Whatever you have to offer God is enough for God to do whatever He wants to do. Whoever you are today is enough for whatever God wants to do through you. Whatever your skill level, your education level, your eloquence level, your spirituality, wherever it is, wherever you are on the scale of manhood, however much you feel that you fill up this shoe or don't, well, God is saying that that's enough. I can work with that. That is the message from the story of Moses. See, God asked Moses this question because He wanted Moses to understand, Moses, it's not your adequacy that matters, but it's my adequacy that matters. Moses, it's not your wisdom that matters, but my wisdom that matters. Moses, it's not your eloquence that matters, but it's my eloquence that matters. Moses, it's not your power that matters, but my power that matters. Moses, it's not up to you to perform any of the miracles. It's not up for you to do any of the things that I'm about to do. All I need you to do is give me all that you have. Man, God is saying the same message to you and I. That your sense of inadequacy, your failures from the past, the ways in which you think you might come up short as a man or as a husband or as a father or as a servant, the way that you feel that you come up short, God wants to hear you. wants you to hear this. It's enough. I can work with that. I can come alongside of all of that. See, there are tasks at hand for each of us men to do. And there are tasks in life that God wants to work through you to accomplish. In your life right now, there are things that God is wanting to do. And there are things in your life that you haven't been doing, that you've been reluctant to do, that you've come up with excuses from doing because you've looked and you've said, I don't have the adequacy. I don't have what it takes to do that. God is saying, no, that's not true. You have all you need because I'm with you. Then there are things in the relationships that you're in right now that God wants to do. There are things that need to be said in some of the relationships that you're in. There are things that need to be done in some of the relationships that you're in that you have been avoiding doing because of that sense of inadequacy. And God is saying, you are adequate. You are adequate with me working in you. We've seen, sadly, in the church, marriages that have failed. And there was all kinds of contributing factors to a failed marriage. One of the key factors in so many failed marriages is that men in their inadequacy failed to step up and to step into what they need to step into to preserve their marriage. Men, for the sake of your marriage, you need to trust in the adequacy of God. You need to trust in the adequacy of God to allow you to be the husband that you need to be. Fathers in this room today, 
There are probably conversations that you need to have with your kids, no matter what age they're at. And you've been avoiding having those conversations because of this sense of inadequacy. I don't know if I'll have the right words to say. I don't know if it'll work. I don't know if they'll respond. And because of that inadequacy, you fail to have the conversation. I lost my father two and a half years ago. We don't always have opportunities to have the conversations and do the things that we need to do. And so God is saying today is the day that I need you to trust in my adequacy to do the works at hand. And so today I just want to take a few moments to kind of get into this story of Moses and how it applies to our life. The first thing that we see in the story of Moses, the first lesson, is that we need to give whatever we've got to God. Give whatever we've got to God. There's a phrase that we often read in the New Testament used quite frequently by Jesus called the kingdom of God. And that phrase, the kingdom of God, kind of refers to, to how uh, God's existence, how, how heaven, how, how it works, how it operates, essentially the constitution of heaven. And what we read in the Bible is that the kingdom of God and the constitution, the rules, the modes of operation in the kingdom of God are so much different and quite often completely opposite of the mode of operation and the rules and the standards for this natural world that we live in. And so you have to kind of learn how the kingdom of God works. One of the rules in the kingdom of God, one of the, the standards, one of the modes of operation in the kingdom of God is this, that God does nothing unless we first invest something. God does nothing until we, or unless we first invest something. And, and it's a, a little bit of an of a irrational thing, because God clearly doesn't need what we have to offer, but yet He asks for it. And we see this over and over again. We see God saying, I need you to invest something before I do something. We're all familiar with the story of the feeding of the 5,000, a great miracle of Jesus, and so much of that story, so much of the emphasis and the focus of that story is on how 5,000 people were fed. But if you back that story up a little bit, what you will find is in the story of the 5,000 people being fed, you find the exact same question being asked of the disciples that was asked of Moses. What do you have in your hand? And whereas Moses replied, I have a staff in my hand, the disciples said, we have five loaves and two fishes in our hand. And God said the same thing to Moses that he said to these disciples, that'll work. That's enough. Five loaves and two fishes, it was enough. Understand this that the five loaves and the two fishes played an instrumental role in the miracle. But the disciples saying, this is what we have in our hand. This is what we have to offer. There's a critical part of that miracle. Similarly, when Jesus performed His first miracle, they were at a wedding. Jesus' mother says, hey, we're out of wine. And kind of in traditional Jewish mother fashion, she just kind of runs roughshod over whatever God's plans were or whatever Jesus' intentions were. And she just said, hey, you guys listen and do what my son tells you to do. He's going to do this. And she walks away. And Jesus looks and he says, I need something. I need you to give me something. And there were six empty jars. And Jesus said, take those jars, fill them up with water, and bring them back. And in the act of taking those jars and filling them up with water and bringing them back, 
that was the investment that was made that allowed the miracle to happen. God does nothing until we first invest something. All God needed was for Moses to go to Egypt and to just say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Just take your staff with you, go to Egypt, and say this simple message. If you were to kind of fast forward to midway through this whole story of Moses and the book of Exodus and, and the, the, the freeing of the people from, from Egypt, what you see is Moses goes to Egypt. He goes to Pharaoh. He says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh refuses to do that. And what follows is are these ten cataclysmic and apocalyptic plagues, like just mind-blowing plagues, all of Egypt, every square inch of Egypt was covered in frogs, like one or two frogs I'm good with, especially if they're fried. But all the land covered in frogs, that is just way too many frogs. And you go on through all of the different plagues, the whole Nile River turning into blood. Every single one of the plagues happened because Moses stretched out his hand and he stretched out the staff. And in all of these cataclysmic, apocalyptic, just incredible miracles and moves of God and power of God, here you see little old inadequate Moses with a utilitarian, unimpressive tool holding it out and seeing it happen. Moses didn't know all of those things, and so he was trying to come up with excuses, thinking that his inadequacies would hold God back. But listen to what Moses says. He says, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight and makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. As men, we need to overcome our sense of inadequacy, our sense of fear, our sense of shame. We need to come to God and we need to say, this is what I've got. This is what I have to offer. This is all I have to offer. So that He can do all that He wants to do. Now, you might not know this, but I am faced with this tension virtually every Sunday morning I come up here and preach. There are some Sunday mornings where just because of how my prep for the message has gone and just how I've met with God, um, I come up here with incredible confidence and I come up here kind of like this next slide. I come up here feeling like Mike Tyson and I'm like, I am going to beat the wheels off of this sermon. Like, I come up here with so much confidence. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know God is going to move today. And as I'm walking to the pulpit, I'm thinking, Billy Graham is in heaven getting his popcorn ready. He's going to listen to this message. It's going to be so good. I'm, like, supremely confident of it. And those are great Sundays. I love those Sundays. But that's not every Sunday. See, there are some weeks and some preps that don't go so smoothly. And come Sunday morning... I come up here, and I feel like I'm coming in facing Mike Tyson. And I'm like, I just don't think I've got anything today. Like, there doesn't seem to be any fire going on in this message. There's no anointing. It just doesn't really flow very, very well together. So 
sometimes I'm sitting there thinking, oh, Sandy, just sing one more song. Just keep singing, Sandy. Christian, make, make, make announcements about the next three months. Just keep going. I come up here a lot of times feeling like what I have to offer is incredibly inadequate. But here's the thing. I've got to come up here. It's kind of where I get paid to do. That's what I get called to do. I can't be a no-show. I've got to get up here. And I've got to confront my sense of inadequacy to say, God, you know, you're going to have to do something with this. Because this is all I've got. What's interesting is that maybe 70% of the very best messages that I've ever preached are the ones where I had to overcome my inadequacy. The ones where I had to come up here and say, God, unless you do something, this is going to be one boring sermon. No, it isn't even made by the same. And God is always faithful to me. And today God is asking you to give Him whatever is in your hand. To give Him whatever you've got. You don't have to have all of the answers. You just have to be willing to let God teach you the answers. You don't have to be eloquent in your praying. You just have to be willing to give your ineloquent prayers to God and trust that He'll work through those prayers. You don't have to be the perfect father. You just have to be a father who's willing to have God work through you. It doesn't matter if you have limited finances. You just have to be a man who's willing to walk the path of generosity and say, God, I don't have much, but I'm willing to give you all that I have. You don't have to be able to express all of your emotions to your wife, but man, you've got to be willing to express the emotions that you do have and trust that God's going to work through that. You don't have to have all of the skills and be a renaissance man, but you have to be willing to say, God, take what I can do and use it for your kingdom. You don't have to have the courage of David and go down and face Goliath, but you've got to be willing to trust that God will help you overcome the giants in your life. You don't have to have a pristine past, but you've got to be willing to say, God, I'm giving you the past that I do have. So I want to ask you this question. What do you have in your hand to give to God? And are you willing to give that to Him? Because if we give what we've got to God, God promises to do what He does. And one of the greatest joys of life is seeing God step into the middle of our inadequacies and do something amazing. But we have to have the courage to do it. Second point, real quickly here, is we have to be willing to go wherever God calls us to go. Go wherever God calls you. God says to Moses this, He says, Now go, and I will help you speak and teach you what to say. And, and it's a whole other sermon and maybe a whole other series that you could do surrounding this word go and the importance that the word go has in Scripture because we see this word over and over and over again. We see the word go. 
God called Abraham, leave the, fa- leave the land of your fathers and your forefathers and go. Go somewhere you've never gone before. God says to, uh, to Moses, go to Egypt. God says to all of the prophets in the Old Testament, go to these people. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And when Jonah resisted going, God said, well, I'm going to get you there. And then all the way into the New Testament, we see this word go kind of climax with the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all men. And so this word go has a critical place in all of Scripture. And what the word go means, it's not just a command to do something. It's a promise that God will do something. Because when God says go, what He means is He says, I will meet you wherever I send you. That's what go means. Go is like, I am sending you there and I will meet you there. I'm sending you to do this thing. I'm sending you to this place. And I'm going to meet you. You're not going to be on your own. I'm going to be with you. And so, this staff that Moses had, it took Moses to places he never thought he would find himself. The staff uh, allowed him to do things and to see things he never thought he would see. That beyond his wildest dreams, Moses ended up in places he never thought he would go. The, the staff took Moses back to Egypt, the one place on the face of the earth that he never thought he would go back to because he never wanted to face what he had coming to him. The staff took him back to face his greatest fears. The staff took Moses, who had been a shepherd for 40 years, who had lost any sense of decorum or manners, and now he's standing in front of the most powerful man on earth. The the, the staff took Moses to the courts of Pharaoh. The staff took Moses to the edge of the Red Sea with the Egyptian army breathing down on his neck. And the staff took Moses to the other side of the Red Sea. The staff, interestingly, later in the story, took Moses into battle and the Israelites were fighting the Amalekites. And God says to Moses, go up to this hill And while the battle is going on, I want you to raise your hands with your staff in your hand. And as long as, Moses, you are on the hill that I have sent you on, and as long as your hands are raised, if you give me that, then Israel will have a victory. And Moses stood there, having went to the hill to which he was sent, with the staff in his hand that he had to offer. And he watched the Israelites, the great underdog, win a battle. See, giving whatever we have to God is not a passive action, but it's an active action. Because here's what happens. Giving triggers going. When we give something to God, what God says is, now that you have given this to me, let me tell you where we're going to go with this. Now that you've given me your life, let me tell you where we're going to go with this. Now that you've given me your place of work, let me tell you what we're going to do there. Now that you've given me the opportunity to to enter into your fathering, to enter into how you are a husband, now that you've given me your finances, let me tell you where we're going to go with this. There's a famous saying by Edmund Burke that most of us have heard, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And I think that very same statement 
is equally true if you change it around to say, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to go nowhere. For good men to allow their sense of inadequacy to seduce them into a life of indifference. So many times, men, we are guilty of believing the lie that we are inadequate. And once we have believed that we are inadequate, it leads to us becoming indifferent. What does it matter if I do anything? What does it matter if I say anything? And we just walk through life indifferent to all of the opportunities and all of the things that God wants to do around us. Traditionally, men come to church a lot less and a lot less often than women do. And I think part of the reason is because as men, we have believed this lie of inadequacy that that I just don't feel what I'm supposed to feel. I don't know where I fit into the church. And so we become indifferent about going to church. Men, you play a significant role in the life of the church. Men, you play a significant role in the kingdom of God. You play a significant role in what God is wanting to do in our community and in our culture. And even in the midst of your inadequacies, we need men who have the courage to say, this is all I've got, but I'm giving it to God. In whatever way I can be used in this church, I am going to be here and trust that God is going to use me. And a lot of times, even in in our fathering, we we become indifferent in how we father. We we don't speak the words that we need to speak. We don't demonstrate the love that we need to speak. To, to demonstrate, and we, come, we kind of become indifferent. We kind of become um, spectators in our children's life instead of becoming leaders in our children's life and stepping sometimes into those awkward conversations or sometimes stepping into those difficult conversations. We kind of become inadequate and we lose our voice and we do the same in our marriages. We don't feel adequate to really deal with the things that need to be dealt with, and so we just become indifferent about them. And our marriages slowly and subtly slide into a place of indifference. We don't give God what we've got so that God can take us where He's calling us to go. Then God is calling you to give and to go. What is in your hand to give? And where is God wanting you to go with that? I'm going to call the worship team forward. I said earlier that the word go has an important role in Scripture. And so Jesus was about to ascend into heaven his last few words to the disciples. And you can imagine at this point the the psyche of the disciples. We know that they were nervous. They were feeling inadequate. They were super confident when Jesus was with them. They were super confident as like, you know, when when Jesus was was, uh, walking with them and standing behind them kind of like when you're walking with your big brother or you, you've got a friend who is really strong. You kind of feel a little bit more confident when you're with him. But now Jesus is leaving. And the disciples were flooded with this sense of inadequacy. How in the world are we going to do any of this? How in the world are we supposed to keep this movement going when this guy leaves? And it was into that sense of inadequacy but Jesus said these words. He said, therefore, go. Go into all of the world. Do all of these incredible things 
I want you to go to places you've never been before. I want you to do things you've never done before. In fact, you're going to do things greater than what I did. I want you to, to go despite your inadequacies. The Great Commission ends with this beautiful promise where he says, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the earth. Jesus said to the disciples, it's not your adequacy that's going to spread the gospel, but it's my adequacy. I just need you to go. And when you don't think you have the words, just open your mouth and I will speak the words. As Peter said to the man who was crippled in front of the temple, silver and gold have I not. Peter looked at the man and said, listen, I am inadequate to do anything about your life situation. But there is someone inside of me who is adequate. And it's out of that that I can minister healing to you. These very, very inadequate men changed the course of history because they were willing to give what they had and to go wherever God called them to go. And so, man, I want you to hear this message. That there is a spirit of divine adequacy that rests on you. And that at any moment that you can access that divine adequacy, in any moment that you are feeling inadequate, ill-prepared, ill-qualified, unskilled to do the task at hand, you can stand in that place and you can say, God, be what I need you to be. Do through me what I can't do on my own. I want to challenge you, man, not to let indifference and the sense of inadequacy keep you from being the man that God has called you to be. To be the husband that God has called you to be. The father that God has called you to be. And I want you to know no matter how many times you have failed in the past to be that, the page has turned and today God is saying things can be different. Give me what you've got. Whatever you've got. And I will do God, I thank You for this message. I thank You for the story of Moses. God, I thank You that it's not by might nor by power, but by Your Spirit that we can fulfill the expectations of manhood. And I pray, God, just in this moment right now, You would just fill each man in this place with the confidence in Your adequacy. And God, we're where we have believed this lie of inadequacy and where we have believed the lie that, uh, that we are not enough, just release the truth of God to uproot that lie and build within us a foundation of confidence that His in this closing song. And this is an opportunity for us to respond to God in a number of different ways. We have communion elements at the back of the room in baskets. If you want to partake of communion, you can go to the back and grab the communion supplies and receive communion. I'm going to call the prayer ministry team to the front. And this is an opportunity for us just to receive prayer for whatever need is in our life. Man, I want to personally challenge you that um, the going today may simply be going from your seat to the front to receive prayer.
maybe in the past you've sat there and thought, you know, maybe I should go for prayer, but you didn't, I would encourage you today to make a different decision. To come for prayer today. To take that courageous step to go and to meet with God through our prayer ministry team. So we're going to sing this song. Let's stand together. Uh, Holy Spirit, as we enter into this time of reflection and response, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to do a work in our lives. And I pray in particular, as we sing this last song and as people receive prayer and as your Holy Spirit ministers, that you would impart a confidence that sets us free from our sense of inadequacy. Do that now.